In this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, Jane and I are continuing the discussion about inspiration and why it's important by having a conversation with Cirque du Soleil puppeteer Christy Hughes. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, a field guide for storytellers of the world. This is a deconstruction arts podcast that examines the world around us and looks at how day-to-day inspirations help storytellers create. I'm co-artistic director and explorer of thought, Jane Rose. And I am Tavi Stutz, the other artistic director of deconstruction arts and a lover of love. On this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, I would like to welcome the talented, the beautiful, my dear friend, Christy Hughes. Hi, Christy. How are you? Hi, Tavy. Hi, Jane. I am doing very well, and I'm smiling ear to ear because I'm so excited to be talking to you guys. Oh, yay. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. Just a little background information. Christy and I met many moons ago in Montreal. And we were training at the breathtaking, stunning headquarters of Cirque du Soleil. And I feel inclined to tell our listeners that Christy is quite possibly one of the sweetest people I have ever met and um, definitely the best roommate I've ever had. (laughs) She's a beast when it comes to discipline and creativity. She has inspired me back in the day and still inspires me today. And I'm thrilled that you are honoring us here and being our guest. Let's see, let's see where, where to begin. Can you first tell us just a little bit about where you're from and maybe about your family a little bit or? Sure, first of all, I have to hold back those tears. Thank you for that amazing introduction. <laughs> um, I'm originally from Nicholasville, Kentucky and I'm the youngest of four kids. I have three older brothers. With that, I want to say my family, all of my family, and and certainly my parents have been so supportive and loving throughout my entire career, um, certainly raising me. Yeah, just want to throw love to my family and to my parents, to my mom and my dad. So being the youngest, uh, my brothers are a few years older than I am. And one of my brothers, Stephen, certainly has been a huge inspiration in my life. He, He kind of you know, went down the wild path of artistry uh, and kind of uh, leveled that path for me. So it became a lot easier for me to go down that path. And for him, I'm, I'm just very grateful. Uh, speaking of Montreal, Stephen moved to Montreal after he finished studying choreography and dance at OSU. And he and his wife at the time were huge creative personalities in Montreal and Martha Carter, his wife at the time, was the assistant to Marie Chouinard, who you probably know being, being a dancer. She is a very famous choreographer from Canada, from Quebec. And uh, Martha invited me to Studio 303 in Montreal, which is an institution there. And I actually got to see, as a teenager, watch the rehearsals of Schwinar's The Rite of Spring from Stravinsky, Mm -hmm. which has become, you know, it's so iconic of her work now, all of these years later. And I got to sit in a rehearsal space in Montreal and and watch rehearsals. And that was certainly something that completely changed my life and solidified my desire, which was already kind of growing and blossoming to become an artist myself. That's beautiful. Yeah. For those of you that aren't familiar yet with Christie's work, she has the ability to tell a story and to build a character and to create a world without ever speaking a word. Although she is fluent in 
Well, the last I heard, fluent in three languages. Who knows? At this point, you could speak more. Uh, English being her birth language, and then French and German. Yeah. And your characters speak too, but not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them. That's true. <laughs> Christy, you started to get a little bit into inspiration, in particular inspiration that you got from your family. Can you expand a little bit on that and talk about some of the things that inspire you and have led you into the, the work that you find yourself in now? Certainly. Just to kind of piggyback where I'm from, I mean, I'm originally from Nicholasville, Kentucky, but my path has led me to live 19 years in Europe. I, I went to the Lecoq School in Paris and then stayed and toured with my own theater company in Europe for a few years and then landed in Berlin. So with that said, I, I have much inspiration from, from many different places, certainly from America, as well as many from Europe. I am totally inspired since a child from Carol Burnett. She's a huge inspiration in my life. And yes, certainly characters that she and her whole team on the Carol Burnett show created. Um, I, I love playing old people. And that was born out of watching Tim Conway and his beautiful old man who I just fell in love with as a kid. And so Carol Burnett to this day is a huge inspiration. Um, of course, along with Carol Burnett, Lucille Ball. I'm inspired very much by Julie Taymor, um, by Laurie Anderson. I love and am very much inspired how she embodies so many different characters. And, and that's something that I love to do in my own work. Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, I'm a big Saturday Night Live, was certainly influenced by Saturday Night Live. And that said, Gilda Radner as well. Mm -hmm. um, in Europe, there's a, a woman, female director. She's also a puppeteer and does a lot of physical theater and directing a physical theater. Her name is Ulrika Quaid from the Netherlands. And I love her work. I'm inspired by Ilke Schönbein, who is also a legend of a puppeteer in Europe. She lives in France, but she's from Germany. I'm inspired by Jean Lecoq, the great pedagogue of the 20th century. And, and that's where I had the opportunity to study and, and uh, do the full two-year program, and I'm very inspired by his pedagogy. Um, I'm inspired by the Handspring Puppet Company, the creators, um, Basil Jones and Adrian Kohler. Probably your listeners will know them from creating the Warhorse puppets, uh, among many other puppets, but they're most famous for, for Warhorse and creating all of those amazing puppets. Yeah, those are just to name a few. I'm also really inspired by, te by Théâtre du Soleil, Ariane Munchkin uh, in Paris, the, the founder and artistic director of Théâtre du Soleil. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's just to name a few. <laughs> that is such a great list. That is a great list. <laughs> I love that list. Wait, so I know much about your professional experience and stuff that's happened but like what was like your first like the start of your performance career like when I was little we used to put on puppet shows in my basement like that sort of thing like did you what where did that happen for you well I love it that you put on puppet shows in your basement <laughs> <laughs> I never put on puppet shows but I did play characters um kind of goes back to my love of embodying and fully becoming someone else uh, that started from a young age. My parents would have friends come over to their house a lot and I wasn't a very talkative child, but I loved kind of sitting and watching and listening and observing. 
and I would study them, their friends. And then as soon as they left, I would like take on the character of the, the characters of their friends and show my parents like, okay, this is Janet. This is how Janet is. And this is Minnie. And <laughs> <laughs> so I love like performing for my family and playing all of the different people we knew in, in Nicholasville. <laughs> So yeah, in high school, we didn't have an official theater program, but we did have, I was on the speech team. So I did a lot of um, monologues and, and duologues like with other, with a partner and going to speech competitions. And then once I got to college, I went to a private college in Kentucky called Center College. And uh, I was cast in Shakespeare's Women, directed by one of the professors, Tony Haig, uh, my freshman year. So that started right off the bat. And that was basically as soon as I got to college, I auditioned. And, and from there, I was in various college performances. And, and that was the birth of my, of, of my love of theater. Um, that, that's where it started, basically. Uh, just kind of dovetailing off of that, if present self was going to go back in time and talk to past self, and tell it what you were gonna end up doing. Do you think that past self would believe present self about where you've gone? Like, do you ever think about that? Like, if you're like, wow, I didn't know that this is where I was gonna go, or I knew exactly that this is where I was gonna go. Yes, I, that is a beautiful <laughs> question. I love that question. Um, going back to my brother, actually, when he finished the OSU dance program, he went to Edinburgh to perform in the Edinburgh Festival. And I was a few years younger, so he was sending us postcards. Like he traveled over, all over Europe during that time, and he was sending us postcards from every city he was traveling to. And I still, to this day, in my room from childhood in my parents' house, have all of those postcards hanging up. Um, I looked at all of them and decided I will travel to all of these places. I will travel and perform and create and be an artist. I think my past self would be really proud of the fact that I've done exactly that. I have, there's so many things I haven't done right, but that is certainly, um, that is certainly exactly what I wanted in life. And that's exactly what I'm doing. That's awesome. Beautiful. So talking about those things that you've done right. <laughs> <laughs> right. We won't go into the. <laughs> <laughs> um, so starting in theater is one thing, but then like getting to the, the niche of clowning and puppeteering and that stuff. I mean, it sounds like the clowning started super early with the dinner parties that are going on and you're like coming out as your parents' dinner guests, friends and such. I don't know, maybe is, is there a, a segue between that and where you are now? Well, that basically started when um, I was cast as Charlotte the Spider in Charlotte's Web my senior year in college. And the, my professor, Patrick Kagan-Moore, at that point said that he felt like my, my specialty from what he had seen in acting was my physicality and how I could physically uh, embody characters. Um, and he suggested the Lecoq School. And so that for me, you know, professors... Then a shout out to all teachers and professors. Um, they can have such an influence on our lives and on the paths. And as soon as Patrick said that, it, for me, it was clear, okay, I'm going to go to the clock. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study mask and mime and clown, and I'm going to go for it. It didn't happen immediately. It took a couple of years, but then that's what I pursued. And clowning, clowning uh, is something that 
even to this day, like I, I don't call myself a clown and it, it, like, especially because I've had the great joy the past seven months to work with what I consider, who I consider to be really some of the best clowns in the world who are alive right now in our day and time. And seeing them, I, I see much more my, my style of creating characters and of acting to be very comic or can be comic and can be even grotesque and maybe sometimes going into the world of Buffon a little bit. But I'm very shy about calling myself a clown. It's like if I were to call myself a dancer in front of you, Tavi, and <laughs> someone who's worked at the Bolshoi. And I would, ne- you know, obviously I would never call myself a dancer, even though I've been studying movement for 20 years. Um, I don't, I'm still learning the art of being a clown. And I think that will be a lifetime goal and project. Well, you are delightfully humble, and I will call you both an amazing dancer and a brilliant <laughs> clown. <laughs> I have seen you, move. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the role of Charlotte was sort of that, like, initial entry point into kind of the area that you then took. Would would you consider that your like your first puppet, or is that, or is there something that you consider the first puppet that you well, worked with? My first puppet, um, I actually got into puppetry through mask theater. Certainly we did a little bit of object theater and, and bringing objects to life at the Lecoq School and I, and I really enjoyed that. But it wasn't something that I fell in love with until I was working with a mask theater company in Berlin. They're called Théâtre Fragile, Theater Fragile. And um, working with them, starting to work with them in 2009, I had, we did a show called uh, Sky and Sight, and it was inspired by Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea. And uh, I puppeteered a giant fish and um, a giant sail. I mean, in talking about Théâtre Fragile, I should mention that they specialize in mask theater and public spaces. So we were performing this in big public squares in different cities all over Europe. So instead of having, you know, it's, it's transposing the, this story inspired by the old man of the sea. So this giant rectangular box moving around a city square, I would do a dance with this box with this giant sail and then a, the fish would come and manipulating these objects really sparked my curiosity and desire to to dive into the world of puppetry a lot more. And not long after that, I saw that there were auditions in Germany for a German production of the National Theater of England's production of War Horse. And immediately I, I just thought I would give it a try. And doing that audition with Merv Millar, who is one of the, he was one there uh, at the very beginning with Warhorse during the creation of Warhorse at the National Theater. And he was our puppetry director and working with him, I was eventually cast in the show as a puppeteer, as well as an actress in a, in a, in a role uh, in the production. That solidified and well, at first deepened my learning and appreciation of puppetry a hundred times and then solidified my, my passion for this art of puppetry. Um, and I have since, since Warhorse mainly worked as a professional puppeteer since um, 2013. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but that's at Teatro Fragile. I saw you perform in that. Were we in Edinburgh? Where was that? In Heppenheim, in Germany. I'm in Germany. We were on a train out there. Yes. Didn't you also animate a bird? You're right. I did. Yes. 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 Oh my I gosh. The so the the fish was amazing and huge. You've never seen such a well. I've never seen such a big fish, but apparently there are <laughs> giant fish in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> but the bird. Oh my goodness. I remember this one because it came from a distance. Like the audience is all sort of in the square or whatever, in the area you're watching the action. And then sort of off in the distance, you see this beautiful, I don't even know what we would call the apparatus, like how you were holding it to get, to give it flight or height or whatever, but it was maybe like 15, 20 feet in the air. Yeah, it was really um, long pole <laughs> yeah <a> giant pole <laughs> right we could just call it that <laughs> dangling a string <laughs> and with a bird attached to it yeah with the strings i could manipulate the wings and with the movement make it fly over the over the audience's heads it was so magical and whimsical what does the development process for that kind of thing look like because like, obviously you don't walk up to this massive thing and this massive object and, and start, you know, performing choreography that then the, the audience would watch. What is that process for you in terms of like exploring an object, exploring a puppet and starting to animate it and bring it to life? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, very often from the smallest productions to large scale productions by famous companies, there is a rough sketch or a mock-up of a puppet, which is the best way because then as a puppeteer, I can come in with other puppeteer colleagues and we can start to play around and start to figure out what's working with the movement, what's not working with the movement, what is also uh, physically doable and what's more comfortable and what's not at all comfortable or possible or takes too much strength or is too straining for the back or whatever body part. Of course, a big part of it as well, especially, well, with any animal or human to observe, we need to, um, with Warhorse, we did a whole study of horses, um, really learning their, their habits, their behavioral habits, what, how they react with humans, how they react with other horses. So we need to know the real life, if there is a real life equivalent to the puppet, then to know that very well weight, body weight, looking at that movement, as well as behavioral patterns and, and reactions and ways of being, and then play around with how we can bring that into an object. And it's usually uh, weeks and weeks of exploration, and it really helps to, to see someone else manipulate an object and get ideas and then jump in and, and pick up from there and, and show them what they were doing and then take it further and then someone else will come in and have a different idea and, and it starts to become more and more obvious what's working and what's, what's not working and, and what that object is capable of and perhaps what it's not capable of. Yeah, something that I love watching you do is when you're performing, it's breath. Can I say that? Like you'll, you'll see the puppet breathing. And, you know, when we first come into this world, we take a breath and it's the last thing we do when we leave is exhale. And like you really do bring life into your puppets through breath. And it's really cool to see. I feel like that's kind of the 
jumping off board. You disappear. Sorry. Your puppet just takes over and you're like, who's manipulating that? I have no idea. That's just a being and it's doing its own thing right now. Oh, that's the biggest compliment you can give a puppeteer. So thank you. And I just want to add, thank you, Tavia, for bringing that up because that's absolutely what we as puppeteers hope to do. We, it's our goal to be conduits of life, vessels of life through which the breath and therefore life flows. We've talked a little bit about your adventures and travels and stuff like that, but like with your, with your studying at Lecoq and being in France, and I love that you learn French while you're there because you're like, well, I'm here, so I'm going to participate in this culture, and that's such a beautiful thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about travels, adventures, things that you've, you've gotten into that, uh, that stick with you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, I would say to start off with, after finishing Lecoq, there were uh, six other colleagues of mine from Lecoq who had finished the program, and we decided we wanted to uh, form a a theater company together, and it was called Attic People. And uh, we ended up creating a show and going to the Edinburgh Festival. And that show, Drip, um, ended up being successful in Edinburgh, and we got a a UK tour um, after that, that, that uh, sponsors helped us to organize and with help from the British Council. And that traveling and doing this UK tour, I mean, we were incredibly, you know, just the epitome of students, art students um, who had absolutely no money. And like sometimes live, like someone might know a friend or someone living in that particular British town. And so we all slept in the living room and like shared spaghetti out of a pot, <laughs> like not wanting to bother the person living there too much or to be too much of an annoyance. So these memories are certainly so precious to me <laughs> as far as traveling and, and living that artist life that I was so wanting and dreaming of as a kid. <laughs> and the reality of it, you know, as we all know, can be very different than what we imagine. And then I've had this amazing opportunity not too long ago where I was on a world tour with uh, Cirque du Soleil. I was cast as a puppeteer in Cirque du Soleil's production of Taruk, The First Flight, inspired by James Cameron's Avatar. And with that experience, I was touring different parts of the world for three and a half years. And there I was able to go to Taiwan. One very big memory is being able to take a glove puppetry workshop with the glove puppetry master of Taiwan. Um, his name is Chen Si Huang. <laughs> I hope I'm saying that correctly. I have not learned Mandarin, although I did take Mandarin lessons while we were in China, I will say. So three months of Mandarin hasn't really been enough for me. But yeah, that I mean, just the being able to meet this master and, and work with him and learn about love puppetry firsthand, no pun intended, was such an incredible memory. We also had the opportunity apparent or not apparently he said so himself but one of the co-founders sir richard taylor of the very famous uh, weta studios weta workshop in new zealand he loves puppeteers so being puppeteers we wrote him and asked if perhaps we could get a tour of weta workshop and he personally took the time to give us like a two and a half hour tour of the entire weta workshop in wellington new zealand was absolutely unforgettable. I mean, I have touched and even played a little bit with swords that 
like main characters from the Lord of the Rings were holding and I had a hobbit hand on my hand and that was like meeting the real life Wizard of Oz. It, Sir Richard Taylor is an incredible man and I am in total awe of the Weta workshop. Yeah, other experiences, you know, the Egyptian pyramids, just seeing them and, and, and all of their glory, just unbelievable. And the Great Wall of China and the Angkor temples in Cambodia. I was on an island in Vietnam and Halong Bay where I was convinced that the real life King Kong would be coming after us at any minute. <laughs> I mean, you did. <laughs> and actually, King, parts of the film King Kong were filmed at an island not so far off from this island. Yeah. And yeah, just absolutely incredible. I'm so grateful for the, the travels I've been able to experience and the fact that that's very often been coupled with with working and performing yeah like I said that was that was my dream early on and I'm incredibly grateful that I've been able to to do that hope that that will always continue in some form and I imagine that also because you're talking about the travels also being coupled with the work and the experience and that sort of stuff but life is also a part of that such as eating a bunch of pasta out of one pot that you're sharing with your fellow performers. You must have made some pretty amazing friends through all of this as well and all of those adventures that you're on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, for example, Tavi, (laughs) the perfect example of one of the beautiful friendships I've made. So many, so many friendships. And then also what's so beautiful, these quote-unquote random encounters you know I'll never forget there was a typhoon coming in Taiwan and I was traveling from the south point of Taiwan to the northern point of Taiwan by myself I was in a city but I was living in an Airbnb about an hour away from where I was and I got in a taxi because I was afraid that I needed to get home as soon as possible and the taxi driver immediately he was talking to me about about love and how important love is in life and I shouldn't let love pass me by. <laughs> you know, giving me all of these kind of beautiful words of wisdom. And yeah, that was one of the most special taxi rides I've ever had in my life. And he was such a dear man. And that's also what, what I love about traveling. I mean, I think everyone does just these encounters that you make with people and you learn that, that our differences are what are so beautiful and they're to be cherished. But at the core, we as human beings are so similar and we're so much more similar than, than politics would like us to believe or would lead us to believe. And I think that's something that the more we travel, the more we see is that we are truly all connected to take a, a line from Taruk <laughs> in this context. But it is true. And the human spirit is something that is much more similar than different. And the differences are to be cherished. That's beautiful. Something that's really interesting and just hearing you talk about, you know, sort of your travel in terms of both elements, personal and professional, is that aspect of being so present in those moments and and being able to be fully engaged with exactly what you're doing at the time that you're doing it. And as you're also talking, just hearing this intense curiosity coming out of you 
you know, everything from, you know, taking, taking workshops when you're already in, you know, on a job and wanting to learn more to learning languages to that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that interfaces with the way that you work and the inspiration that you get from those elements? Because I think that's just a really fascinating part of what, what it feels like your work is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, also thinking about how I would describe curiosity to be a big um, part of my work as well as, as my life. So curiosity, one thing that is important in the Lecoq pedagogy is he talks very often about observation and observing life, observing the details of people, of nature, of everything about the world, observing how it moves, how it acts. And I think this curiosity, as far as how it can contribute to my work, is, is what allows me to, to be um, a puppeteer and to bring objects to life, is this uh, being curious and, and observing how the world functions and how I can directly bring that into an object and directly somehow transpose that into the work that I'm creating. In that process that you have done, have you found there to be favorite characters that you've been able to create? I have. I have um, one character who immediately comes to mind. She's, she's still precious to me. Her name is Minnie. And uh, she was created with Attic People, the company that we founded um, after finishing Lecoq. And she's performed in the show Drip that we performed in Edinburgh. I, this is a character who, again, from, from observing a friend of my parents, her name is Minnie, and um, I created this grotesque character, very human, but larger than life character. She has Minnie, my Minnie, has osteoporosis, so I created this spine made out of foam that I wore, and these shoulders that came in, that were raised and came in a little bit, and she's from the South, she's from Kentucky. And she is, she's just, as soon as I put on that spine <laughs> and I have those shoulders and I am, I'm Minnie when I, when I'm in that costume. And I just love that. I think that's really, when we can get to that point with any character, it's such a fun thing to experience. Um, another favorite character would be in, in War Horse, um, I was a puppeteer for Joey as a foal. And this was certainly, I mean, again, going back to Handspring Puppet Company, the puppets that they created are truly magical. It's been said many times, but just to even just to see them hanging backstage with no one giving them life there, they are true works of art. And to have the opportunity to be able to dare to give them life, to try to give them life is something I will never forget. Those are a couple of examples. <laughs> Beautiful. I know you're not at liberty to discuss everything about what you're working on now, but can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now? I'm really excited about what I'm working on now. I've had the great joy of working the last months in a creation process with the first ever collaboration between Cirque du Soleil, Walt Disney Animation Studios, and Walt Disney Imagineering for a show that's called Drawn to Life and it is celebrating the art of animation in only a way that Cirque du Soleil, Walt Disney Animation Studios, and Walt Disney Imagineering could, could do together. The show is directed by Michel Apries. Many of your listeners probably know from the Cirque du Soleil show Curios. He directed that show 
which is just so gorgeous. And I'm a puppeteer playing a puppet character and working with an absolutely amazing cast. Uh, we'll be celebrating our world premiere later this year. So that's something your listeners can look at the Cirque du Soleil website or Disney blogs and find out more information. Excellent. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, upcoming. <laughs> so with all of this curiosity and all of this creation and all of these travels and all of these adventures and all the people you've met and all these wonderful things that have happened throughout your life, do you have any little bits of wisdom that you could just rattle off the top of your tongue to share with us? I think, I mean, Jane, you hit it right on the nail. It really is about being curious. My words of wisdom would be never stop being curious and being open to learning the richness of other cultures, but also of really observing and experiencing our everyday world. I love the name of your podcast. It's perfect. Inspiration is truly everywhere. And our curiosity is what will lead us to, to constantly be inspired. Beautiful. So one of my favorite, you know, like inside the actor's studio, <laughs> yeah. he's like, so I believe he says like two things, like what are, what's your favorite swear word? And when you die and you see God at the pearly gates, what do you want to hear him say? My question <laughs> in regards to that. I'm glad you're not asking me either of those questions. <laughs> it's not those. <laughs> <laughs> my question is because I think one of the best ways to get to know someone is through the sharing of an embarrassing story and I'm wondering if you could give me say one I don't know if you have two you're welcome to share two however many you prefer I think anyone who knows me well as do you know that my life has been so full of embarrassing moments <laughs> that it is actually kind of hard to choose one. But one that comes to mind is, is a performance-related one, an audition-related one. And I think it's probably a good one to tell in this context. Um, going back to my character, one of my favorite characters, Minnie, this uh, Southern woman with her osteoporosis and her big spine. I saw in Berlin, I had moved to Berlin, and I saw that the cabaret there, Pomp Duck, Pomp Duck and Circumstance, were auditioning. They wanted an old woman character. And I thought, Perfect. I have got it. I have so got this job. So I, but they, it was more of a traditional audition where they wanted a monologue and a song. And I am not a singer, but I did rehearse with Minnie trying to sing Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend and doing the best she could, but, but as Minnie would sing it. So I walked into the rehearsal. It was at a beautiful Spiegel tent in Berlin, mm -hmm. a dinner theater cabaret. And I walked in and I learned afterwards that one of the main people casting was a producer for the show Friends. So I can kind of give you the idea of maybe more the kind of acting style they were looking for. I was in full character with my spine, this grotesque character. Minnie had on a leotard actually, and I had made tights that had varicose veins. And I mean, full on borderline grotesque but you know like she's so human and I did my I did they wanted a monologue and I had written my own monologue so I think that was already like a little bit strange for them that it wasn't this kind of already known monologue and then they wanted me to sing my song so I gave it my all full-on mini 
I ended up in the splits as this old woman. There was just, you know, in this huge dinner theater, there was one table with the people auditioning me. And the man who is one of the producers from Friends says, that was the absolute worst rendition of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend that I have ever seen in my life. And I, as many, I stayed in character and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, well, I'll just be on my way then. Bye-bye. Just kind of, <laughs> just like holding, holding back the tears and shuffling my way between the tables and out of that, of that area where they were. And I went to the bathroom immediately, started crying. And as soon as I was in the bathroom, I could hear the other woman, the next woman auditioning, I could hear all of her audition. So then I learned that there was this intercom system in the entire place, which included a kitchen with cooks who were preparing the dinner for that night's performance. There were at least 40 to 50 people in the foyer waiting to audition in the bathrooms all throughout the space. There was an intercom system and they all would have heard First of all, the worst rendition of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend that anyone had ever heard, I guess. And secondly, this man telling me that it was the worst rendition of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. And I was absolutely horrified. So there you go. What a preview. <laughs> I, I want to hear many singing times. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is something I have buried deep in the ground and will never pull out again. But this is like 15 years later. You know, this was 15 years ago. So everyone who has stories to tell, who knows that their stories have to be told, their characters have to be seen, their work has to be out there, put it out there, no matter what the rejection is that may or may not come, no matter what anyone says. Mm, love that. That's so I also love the commitment to putting on mini to going to an audition and putting on mini, which is not I bet you you were the only one that did that. I was. <laughs> <laughs> which I learned, you know, was not the choice to take for that audition. But Well, I would say for that producer, if you yeah. showed up to my audition and did that, I'd be like, respect. <laughs> for sure. And I'd also have it over an intercom. Right. <laughs> it was horrifying. It was, yeah, so horrible. It did take me a long time to audition again after that, I, I have to say. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful, wonderful sharing and recounting of stories and adventures. I've had a great time. You've been so, so generous with your, with your time and your stories. And I, I think that we've gotten a really lovely impression of the work that you do and how you're driven by it. And it's just really amazing to, to hear and the, the beautiful excitement and investment that you have in, in the work that you are, are so blessed to get to do. It's, it's just been really incredible. And thank you for, for sharing that. I have had such a wonderful time. Thank you both so, so much. This is gorgeous. And I love the fact that you're doing this podcast. Congratulations. And I can't wait to hear the next interviews and all the different topics you guys are going to be discussing with Inspiration is Everywhere. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of it. And, um, and remember that Inspiration truly is everywhere. Take a moment at some point to stop. Stop everything. Just take a deep conscious breath and be inspired. <laughs>